The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, 17 Seconds. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community of Star Trek fans and reach more listeners. That's the number one way we get more listeners is by people recommending us. Uh, I want you to stick around. Make sure you stick around for the end of this podcast. We have a lot of really awesome feedback from you, the listeners and viewers. So I want to make sure you get to hear that. Uh, another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy is a bunch of Star Trek fans called the Catholics of Oz. You can find them wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz or OZ. So before we get to talking about 17 seconds, I want to talk are you a little. Sure? Are you sure, Dom, it's not the Catholics of Ounce? Uh, no, <laughs> no, Oz as in like Australia. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> so the... Uh, the, there's a bit of news this week that came out, which is uh, that we was announced that Star Trek Discovery will be coming to an end after season Woo-hoo! five, which will air in 2024. I, I think we're all uh, less than enthusiastic fans of Discovery. It has its high points and its low points. So Mostly low. More, more low than high. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, and and. and so I wanted to sort of react to that and discuss what we think it means. Um, what does maybe mean for future Star Trek, um, given that Discovery was the first of the, you know, TV series to return after Enterprise. So uh, what do y'all think? Well, um, so part of the decision, I mean, part of the decision may be ratings based, which may be, you know, reflected by in the... Um, uh, in the poor quality of the show, which is is just woke emotional therapy and with, you know, not that great plotting. At least it was the last time I saw it. And, and but a substantial chunk of the reason and certainly how the how the studio is framing it is a financial decision um, shows increase in their cost with each season because the Screen Actors Guild and other Hollywood unions have mandated pay raises each season. And so the costs go up for that reason. Also, thanks to the government printing all this lovely new money, we've had significant inflation. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, we haven't had in decades. Um, So the costs have definitely gone up. And Discovery, as the longest running show of new track, is the most expensive. And so if you're going to uh, if you're if if you're not getting the financial returns that you want on the show, it makes it the easy one to cancel. And so um, that's fine. They can use whatever justification they want. I'm just glad it didn't go seven seasons because seven seasons, even with modern short seasons, would be considered a success. And I'm delighted that they didn't make it. I wanted <laughs> to see this series fail right. and it has failed. 
And mm. so I'm happy for that reason. Um, and hopefully, whether even though I'm certain they won't acknowledge it publicly, some of the lessons they've learned will stick. And because the other new Trek series have not been as bad, um, you know, Lower Decks is not as bad. Mm. Um, Prodigy is not as bad. Strange New Worlds is not as bad. Picard is not as bad. And so um, so hopefully those lessons will stick and future Trek going forward will be even more enjoyable. What do you think, Father Corey, about this? news? You know, I, the, the, like they said in the, the article that I saw was that it's, you know, money issues. Um, of course, we'll never know if it's a ratings thing for real, because that's one thing with these streaming services is they can hide the ratings so much easier than they could when you had, you know, uh, Nielsen ratings for all the different shows. And, you know, these, these shows had so many viewers that at the time it broadcast, that's the other part of it, you know, and I wonder too, if, with these streaming services, they can see much more clearly who's watching the reruns, who's going back and streaming, you know, season one, two years after it, it first released. And I bet there's I this is just my my impression, you know, other than the people who they like, you know, the USS emotional discovery, um, <laughs> people aren't picking it up. And especially when you do have Picard, which is an improvement, you have Prodigy and Lower Decks, which are dramatic improvements over discovery you have strange new worlds which breakout hit i mean yeah. there's they, they that's one thing they're trumpeting to the the skies you know strange new worlds it's the best release we've had on uh paramount paramount plus yet right. you know so and that says a lot it does so i think it's i think they re recognize that while discovery is to be credited for bringing back television star trek we're going to be glad to see the the USS Discovery go off into the sunset or into the sun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I heard it said that um, I know and, and I'm not I didn't I don't see a reference to it, so I don't know how true this is. But Alex Kurtzman, who's running Star Trek right now for Paramount, saying that they're limiting the number of series that they have going at any one time, which just makes sense. You don't want to have, mm -hmm. you know, to overstretch yourself and that they can't start anything new until old ones end. So maybe this means that now that discovery is ending, we're going to finally get that long rumored section 31 series that they talked about long ago that at one point, Michelle Yeoh was going to be in and maybe um, uh, Alexander Siddig, uh, you know, Dr. Bashir, might be in um that would be really nice i'd love to see that um although some people are now talking about and i don't know if this is just fan theories or if there's really something to it a wharf rothy series um that's just fan theories but it you know i mean it could happen the the cast has indicated their openness to the next gen cast has indicated their openness to doing more there are also reports and again i don't know how solid these are of a Starfleet Academy series set in the 31st century or 32nd century, which would involve the, you know, later discovery time period and might involve characters like Tilly. Mm hmm. Okay. I could. That's all we need is, you know, <laughs> Beverly Hills 90210 set in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it could be done okay. I mean, it, that's the thing is, is I mean, it's, it, it could be. Yeah. It could be. It could be. Um, I mean, I like I've I've never made it bones about the Tilly is one of my favorite characters from Discovery. I, mm -hmm. I always enjoyed uh, Tilly. So um, 
I, it could be okay. I just I kind of don't like the 31st century setting anyway, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of wish they just come back to the 25th century and or the 24th or was it the 23rd? I forget what Strange New Worlds yeah. is and, and do something in those. I kind of would like them to stick to the 25th century and just kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, but the the idea is Star Trek is successful overall, so let's keep doing good Star Trek. I would like to see the 22nd century because they they had the opportunity with Enterprise and failed to realize what they needed to do mm-hmm. with it, mm. which was tell us the story of the Romulan War and the founding of the Federation. Yeah. So it was too late. Yeah. We finally got we're starting to get around to it. And oh, by the way, you're canceled. Right. Yeah. They did the, the temporal time war thing. And that was a whole distraction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would like that. That's the time period I would like to see if they're going to do some prequel stuff. Um, it would be fun. All right. So that's the news. Let's talk about the episode we just watched. And Jimmy, could you give us a recap? This week on the Rafi Musiker show, Rafi learns that her handler Worf is not technically Starfleet, but his interests align with theirs. Together, they track down a human who broke into the Daystrom Institute to steal the portal weapon. Only they realize that this was just a distraction to distract from stealing something even more valuable. They also realize that the human isn't a human, but a changeling and a member of a breakaway terrorist faction of changelings bent on destroying the Federation. Meanwhile, on the Captain Picard show, the Titan is playing hide and seek in the nebula with the Shrike. Picard confronts Beverly about why she never told him he had a son, and he's not satisfied with her explanation. Captain Shaw is injured when the Shrike attacks, and he turns command over to Riker. Picard keeps telling Riker to attack the Shrike, but Riker keeps refusing to do so in favor of running. Jack Crusher realizes that the Shrike is tracking them through the nebula, and he and Seven figure out that they have a gas leak due to sabotage. Jack runs into the saboteur, who is also a changeling, and Jack gets poisoned by the gas and has a vision from the nebula, which is actually alive, and it tells Jack to connect the branches, whatever that means. The changeling sets off a bomb, which damages the warp engines and prevents them from running. Desperate, Riker tries Picard's plan of attack, but the Shrike uses a portal weapon to strike them with their own photon torpedoes, disabling the ship. As they're falling into a gravity well in the nebula, Riker tells Picard to get off the bridge because he's just killed them all. The end. Mm. (laughs) So uh, let's go around and talk about what we thought of this episode. Uh, Father Corey, what'd you think of this episode? You know, one thing we talked about last time was the title, um, you know, 17 seconds. And of course, was this going to be a time loop episode? Was this going to, you know, I, I thought it was, <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. I thought it was going to be, you know, every sec- 17 seconds or that the strike was 17 seconds behind them or, and it kind of was, I mean, that, that it wasn't specifically 17 seconds, but that idea of the 17 seconds from the bridge to the sick bay, to the uh, sick bay, which yeah. is kind of an interesting by, by turbo that. lift. Like yeah. By mm-hmm. turbo lift. But it yes. was, that was an interesting way to play on it. Uh, but I, I liked the episode. I thought it was a very uh, interesting episode. I, you know, the, I, I liked the idea that using the portal gun to warp the the photon torpedoes back at them. Although I saw a comment online on our Discord, I think of don't they have you know friend or foe on their <laughs> they should photon torpedoes <laughs> they should. <laughs> How about you, Jimmy? What did you think of this episode? I enjoyed it. Um, I I liked seeing the uh, the changelings 
uh, be back mm-hmm. in this. We even got a reference to Odo, not by name, but when Worf says he was informed of this changeling breakaway faction by a man of honor within the collective. So that's Odo. Yep. Um, and I I liked the confrontation between Beverly and and Captain Picard. Um, where they're both sharing their perspectives. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more later, but I liked that confrontation. I also liked the creative use of the portal gun, where they both kept, the Shrike both kept the Titan from escaping from the nebula by just warping it right back into the nebula. And also the uh, the use to deflect the uh, the photon torpedo attack onto the Titan itself. Uh, that was nice creative thinking. We haven't seen that kind of thing done before on Star Trek. So I, I enjoyed that. And I thought it was a good episode overall. It didn't have major flaws to my mind. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I, I, I enjoyed this one. It was good. I'm glad it wasn't a time loop. I'm glad they did something a little different. I feel like the portal gun is, while it's not original to at, at all i mean the, the game portal yeah. the video game portal yeah it's 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 pretty original in star trek and i like that um and i like the themes of fatherhood that we've we're approaching in this episode uh in this series um and i liked picard and in Riker kind of talking about being fathers which is fun we'll talk more about that as we go and i too we really liked that the acting in the scene between picard and crusher I think Gates, McFadden and Patrick Stewart did a great job of the subtleties in their performance, which is which was nice. I'm not sure I I want to talk more about Picard Riker on the bridge and that interaction. Mm-hmm. It's seemed off. It was it was a little weaker. Yeah, yeah. that was weaker. But uh, in general, like 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 you both of you uh, said, I think uh, generally a pretty good episode. So I'm, I'm happy with it. So let's dig in. Um one of the first things that happens is Beverly tells Jack, you know, in the midst of the battle, they're going to need us. And I was curious what you thought she meant by the, you know, the the Titan crew are going to need us. Was it simply a we're both doctors? And so were they going yeah. to need us to be doctors? OK, I didn't that's, know if that was how a- I. Yeah, that's how I took it. We, we should back up, though, to the opening flashback, uh, which seems to be a thing. Now, it, they may open every episode with a flashback. This time right. we flashback to, and they don't say how many years ago it is, but... Before. Riker's, <laughs> yeah, Riker's yeah. son has just been born, and Picard and Riker are having drinks in a bar, and um, Riker describes the birth of his son. He was on the bridge of the Titan when Deanna was in labor, and it was a rough labor, and it looked like they were going to lose the baby. Why that would be in the 24th century, I have no idea. Just beam the baby out. But um, the, it was a rough labor, and he and so they called him to sick bay, thinking the baby was going to die. And he took the turbo lift, and it took 17 seconds. So that gives us the title. And then mm-hmm. his son survived, and he talked about what a meaningful experience it was to to see his son and hold his son and how that is transformative when you are a father for the first time. And Picard, even though he was happy for Riker, has not had that experience. And so now during this episode, there's a part where Jack Crusher, who is not at all friendly to his father, um, and we're told Bev gave him the opportunity to go meet his father once he was old enough, and he refused. Um, so 
you know, Picard feels snubbed by his own son. But then Jack Crusher gets injured and he's in sickbay and he may not live. And Picard is the one who has to go to sickbay. And we have his 17 second moment of mm. of going in a turbo lift to sickbay to see what you think is your dying son. And then he 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 gets um, to see Jack live. And so um, so we have a, a, a recapitulation of Riker's experience only for Picard now. So going back to the bar scene, uh, both Stewart and, and Freaks are de-aged electronically. What do you think of the de-aging, mm-hmm. by the way? Did it work for you? Was it or was it Uncanny Valley? I thought it was a little more subtle than some. Yeah. I think they're getting you know, better at it. Yeah. Also, yeah, well, the, lighting, I mean, the lighting is low. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was in 10 forward, you know, it was, uh, the, the new 10 forward, the 10 forward in the bar. Yeah. The bar, yeah. you know, but in, um, LA. Yeah. in LA. Yeah. But it was, I, I thought it was much more subtle. It was there. It was noticeable that they were younger appearance, although Picard less so than Riker. I think he still yeah. looked although older. Patrick Stewart. It's almost ageless. I mean, he's, he hasn't changed that much in appearance, uh, but yeah. <laughs> I, to tell you, I've seen people criticize, or I saw someone online criticizing the de-aging as like, this was a major down for the episode. And I'm going, dude, I didn't even notice they were de-aged. Mm. Um, that's not that. I mean, this was low lighting conditions it wasn't major de-aging. I didn't notice it. Right. I, frankly, I don't know why they bothered yeah. because it's See, only a few years. I, this is, I have suspension of disbelief. This is not them pretending to be 17 years old. Yeah. This mm. is, you know, 10 years ago. And I don't think, or something like that. And I don't think you need to, you know, de-age people for 10 years. Just change their makeup a little bit. That's what I thought it was. I thought it yeah. was more makeup work than it was actual de-aging technology. Right. I mean, yeah, give Freaks, you know, take the gray out of his hair and <laughs> you're pretty yeah. much there. Um, so I, it, I thought it was interesting as Riker is telling his story, the 17 seconds, the longest turbo ride, li, li, you know, turbo lift ride of my life. Um, and he says, the line is, I thought I would lose my unborn son. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I gotta be one of those pro-life people. Like, Yes. <laughs> you know, he acknowledges yep. the humanity of his son in that moment, you know, and there there has been a change in the culture, including including television. I mean, back in the 1970s, the the sitcom Maud, yep. which was a spinoff of All in the Family, had an episode where Maud gets an abortion. Mm-hmm. And and you, you I remember in the 80s and 90s, there was lots of hesitancy on television about do we say unborn child or not? And now it's just accepted. Yeah, um, there has been a positive change in the culture in that regard, the, even such that even liberal evil Hollywood is uh, is going with the flow and talking about unborn children as children. Mm. And he says in that moment. He be- is when he became a father, and I kind of well, no, you became a father nine months earlier. But yeah. I, but I think there's a um, a psychological moment, and yeah. and I've t- I've talked to my wife about this, like because when a, when a woman's pregnant, she has the feelings, she knows that she feels it. For a guy, we're kind of a little bit removed. We see, you know, the the mm-hmm. belly getting bigger, and you could feel sometimes the baby moving. But there's a psychological switch that flips at the moment where 
you're confronted with, okay, this, this is a real, this is really real. This is it. I'm in, you know, like this is, and this, you know, for me, I remember it was in the operating room. My wife had a cesarean, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. seeing the baby lifted up for the first time and seeing the baby there is that moment where your mind switches and you become the protector, the, the, Mm -hmm. the provider, you know, that, that, uh, that sense. And so I can really understand, like, yeah, Yeah. biologically he was father nine months ago, but there's a a moral and emotional moment. Birth, birth is an important moment because we get to see the child for the first time. I mean, today we can kind of see it with ultrasound, but, Mm -hmm. but it's when we see it with our own eyes that that makes a big difference for us because we're visual creatures. Um, and you know, if we were dogs, it might be more when you can smell the child, which right. dogs might be able to do through the womb. They may smell those puppies in there. I think so. Um, but the other thing is it's when life changes as a pra- as a practical thing, mm-hmm. because up to now you have this hidden growth going on, but when the child emerges, all of a sudden you can hear it crying. <laughs> And you yeah. couldn't before. Yeah. And now you've got to feed it and change it and, you know, do all kinds of things because and protect it and move it around because it's not just protected in the mother anymore. Mm-hmm. This So birth is the moment when there are the most practical changes in addition to uh, visible changes. So, yeah, yeah, birth is a big moment. Yep. I. Uh, I did like uh, Troy's reaction when she finds out that uh, she calls Riker at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yep. I'm here changing diapers and feeding this child who won't sleep. But you get back here, bring the whiskey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was, was nice. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I was going to mention um, the the thing about babies crying. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, that's an inbuilt reflex. Oh, yeah. And it's a sign of just how alpha we are as a species. Um, because, you know, you look at like, um, deer, for example, you know, deer are a a creature whose survival strategy is running away from things. And so deer infants make like no noise. You know, they are silent by nature. They have evolved to be quiet. Mm. Whereas human infants scream their heads off, even though they are vastly more dependent than and incapable of surviving on their own than the creatures of other species. A baby deer can run away within five minutes of being born, but human babies are totally dependent on their parents for survival, and yet they are safe enough because of their parents that they have evolved to scream their heads off. Hmm. And and that is just a sign of how much we own this rock. <laughs> you know, no other species is going to threaten our offspring. We will kick its butt. Right. And thus our offspring get to be the most annoying offspring on the planet. They are that safe. <laughs> yep. And um, and because crying is an inbuilt reflex, it doesn't start at birth. Kids are crying in the womb. We just don't hear it because their lungs are filled up with amniotic fluid. Right. And and there was a case a number of years ago where a doctor was performing some kind of procedure and he injected, you know, a bubble of air into the womb. And then that night he gets a call from the mother saying, the bubble of air is letting me and my husband hear the baby crying and it's keeping us awake. What do we do? <laughs> and 
And the doctor said, well, try rolling over on your side so that the bubble gets away from its face. <laughs> that would be disconcerting, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, we the, the Titans sensors are down at this point and they've got they've got old fashioned. They've got crewmen staring out uh, portholes, basically, to look for the enemy ship, which is. Takes us back hundreds of years. Yeah. I like that. That's really nice that they did that. It's a little unbelievable because they should have cameras for that. Yeah. You know, they should have cameras, you know, looking out portholes and you just pipe that footage to a station on the bridge and have, you know, and even have machine learning looking at it for patterns in the nebula that could be the Shrike. So yeah. they didn't really need to have crewmen standing there looking with Mark one eyeballs. But I, I like the principle that, okay, our sensors are offline for the bazillionth time. Now let's try looking out the window. <laughs> right. Windows are important. Uh, and one of the crewmen is the same guy who in the first episode gave Picard the side eye when he came aboard. I don't know if you guys remember that. So when, mm -hmm. as they were piped aboard, it, Seven was taken. There was the, the camera focused on one guy who kind of gave a side side glance at Picard. It was this, the same guy who turns out to be a changeling. Mm -hmm. um, and interesting that it's the changelings who are apparently the big bad here, or at least a faction of changelings. Um, apparently, it's not going to be the conspiracy bugs like we were talking about last time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think of Changelings as returning as the, as perhaps the big bad? I thought it was fine. Um, they they have some history. They they were a, an effective villain in Deep Space Nine and a, a faction of them could be an effective villain here. I'm glad they didn't say the whole collective has mm -hmm. has gone bad because that would mean Odo failed. Right. And maybe even Odo had been corrupted. And I wouldn't want to see that. Um, it would it would deprive Deep Space Nine of its positive ending. Yes, if that had happened. So I I'm, I don't mind it being changelings and I'm glad it's only a faction. Well, and, and they, they point out Raffi and Worf when they're talking or point out that if, you know, it, they, you know, they need to figure out how to stop this without igniting the Dominion War again. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's that's the hope of this faction is to get the Dominion War ramped up again. Right. Uh, for a moment, I. I had a memory lapse as I was watching and I'm like, oh, maybe we'll see Odo. Oh, right. And for those who don't remember, the actor Rene Aubergeois died a few years ago. So, well, we won't be, I, I thought about that, though, because yeah. he's a changeling. It, mm -hmm. He's actually probably be the easiest person to recast. You could find someone who looks vaguely like him mm -hmm. with a little bit of makeup. It yeah. wouldn't be that hard to or have him show up as somebody else, you know, just as a different yeah. face. But that's a, I suppose, although I think out of to honor Rene. I would I, I kind of hope they don't do that, but, you know, we'll see. And besides, they already brought him back in, in Prodigy by voice anyways. So yes, they did. Um, they they could also do something creative like I'm sort of the son of Odo because of weird changeling biology. I'm kind of like him, but not exactly. That's mm -hmm. that's gonna be an interesting idea. That's interesting. So um, meanwhile, on the Titan, um, LaForge, what's her? I forget her first name. Uh, Jordy's daughter, Sydney. Thank you. Goes to visit uh, Seven in her quarters, where Seven is listening to Mozart's Ave Verum Corpus, which is kind of an interesting I know. choice. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the hail true body of Christ. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. 
That was that was nice to see. I, I was I was surprised when it said Ave Verum Corpus in the subtitles I was watching. It's like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of classical music in this series so far, which I thought it was this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's more uh, later on in the episode. So um, so LaForge. By, by, yeah. by the way, something I hadn't realized is the actress who plays um, Sydney LaForge is LeVar Burton's actual daughter. Is she really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. She she decided to become an actress and they chose to incorporate this family relationship in the series and which is very moving for LeVar Burton. Right. That's awesome. Uh, her her last name is not Burton. So uh, mm-hmm. presumably her mom's name or a stage name. Um, so, wow, that's cool. Um, the the uh, so she goes to seven. It's kind of weird. The ensign going to cheer up the commander, which mm-hmm. I think is a bit of an odd choice. You know, the XO. But she and then she goes and she says, you know, my dad had a hard time making friends. And I'm thinking, did Jordy have a hard time making friends? Was that a thing in TNG? Because I never got that sense. No, not friends. He had difficulties with ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, when, and that's one thing that also I saw an interview with LeVar Burton where he was talking about one of the things he was not actually not on board with was the idea that Jordy was shy around women. And he wanted to see that rectified in this series. So we're joining him as a full-fledged, settled-in, married man, family man, mm-hmm. indicating he whatever issues he might have had with feeling uncomfortable around women at the time, he got over them. That's not who he is. Right. The uh, the stereotype of the nerd, nerdy, shy engineer. Uh, yeah. 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 He was definitely not a Barkley. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um. So she's cheering up at the uh, seven. She calls her Commander Seven, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. I that. like that. Oh, yeah. oh totally. It's because and they yeah. had made a point of Shaw not wanting her to use her Borg designation. And so the crew is officially supposed to refer to her as uh, Commander Hansen. And for uh, for Sydney to say Commander Seven, that's a nice personal <laughs> touch. And Sydney says, you know, uh, my dad is the famous Commander, you know, uh, Geordie LaForge. And of course, I entered uh, Starfleet, but I didn't become an engineer like everyone expected. I became a pilot. And, you know, when I don't follow expectations, it's kind of like our similar situation. So Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Um, So then we get to the scene of Picard confronting Beverly. And I know I speculated last time she didn't actually say Jack was Picard's son, but now we get it. It's finally clear. You know, it's that Jack is Picard's son. And he confronts her like, why didn't you tell me? And she says, she tells him, you know, this is when I got pregnant, when I was still on the enterprise, you know, my last couple months there. And I decided not to tell you, you're always in danger, basically. You know, every, every time I, I thought it was time to tell you some other dangerous situation, situation come up. And she made his choice for him, know, for him. And that's one of the things he says, you don't get to condemn people before the fact. Yeah, because she thought if she told him he wouldn't change and it would endanger them and their baby. And so she wanted to protect the baby. And she did. She did say she she tried to tell him several times. But and she names like three incidents in rapid succession where she was going to tell him. And then there was another assassination attempt on you. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a very interesting conversation from a writing perspective, because, you know, the the there's a high level decision that was made early on of Beverly had this secret child 
and it's Picard's son, and she didn't tell him, and she cut off contact with everybody. And then you've got the writing challenge of now, how do you justify that? Mm -hmm. And because you're going to have to address the issue. So how do you what reasons do you make up that would be sensible for uh, for Beverly to um, to to have made that series of decisions? And um, and I think they don't fully succeed. I think Picard is right to say, um, you should have told me anyway, I might, you cut me out of the biggest decision of my Mm -hmm. life is one of his lines. And he, history might've been completely different. He may have backed off on all the galactic adventuring if he knew that he had a child and you denied me the ability to make that decision. Um, and I agree. I think you, if, if you've been fooling around with someone and you get pregnant, you need to tell them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you want to be with them is a separate question, but they need to know they're a father. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so as I was watching the beginning of the conversation, I was thinking to myself, this is Beverly is mistaken here. Mm-hmm. Whatever she says, she's ultimately mistaken. And so this will be interesting to see how they play out this scene with Beverly having done something wrong. And how do they approach that? And can she come up with reasons that even though they're not sufficient, take the edge off of it to the point that it's dramatically acceptable, given that she's a good person and has been established as a good person as a character? And, you know, I don't actually know that they fully achieved that because um, because I think of Beverly as such a good person that she would have just told him, you know, she, yeah. she really, in based on the character as she was at the end of next generation and in the movies, she would have told him, but, um, but she didn't. And so I don't know that it's entirely successful, but it is such a great scene dramatically watching them fight and, ver- you know, verbally and, um, and they both make good points uh, and she's really zings him. A few mm-hmm. times. And he like at one point she says, you told me um, you were afraid of becoming that you didn't want children. You were afraid of becoming your father. <clears throat> and we now have more background on his family of origin situation from last season. Um, but he then rightly angry <laughs> throws that back in her face and basically says, how dare you use that as a weapon against me? Um, when I shared that with you in confidence mm-hmm. and it's a really great scene with, with a lot of really nice acting. She keeps well, pivoting in the, com- I'm sorry. She keeps pivoting in the conversation to another new argument, which I think was an mm-hmm. interesting, like she's been practicing this argument for the last right. 20 years. <laughs> Probably well, so. And th- this is, this is where I kind of disagree a little bit that mm-hmm. I think this actually was very well written. She made a bad choice 20 years ago mm-hmm. by not, being, you know, even with everything that's going on, they still have voicemail in the 25th, 24th, 25th century. Yeah. And she never left a voicemail message. She never sent him a text. She didn't, didn't even send him an old snail mail letter, which he would appreciate it because he's Picard. He likes old things like books, you know, didn't do any of that. And then she just sat there and justified it and justified it. And that whole conversation was her trying to justify it. And she rightfully looked 
bad in this conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she is a good person and she's been played as a good person. She continues to be played as a good person. But this was a bad decision she made back then. And she hasn't come to grips yet that she should have done more to to change that bad decision. I think that was I think that was one of the more powerful scenes, Mm -hmm. you know, where it basically because because, yeah, as you point out, she's getting put on her back on her heels. You know, he cards like you had no right to keep this from me. You had no right to make this choice for me. I, my life may have been very different the last 20 years. If you had told me. And then she tries to put it back on him again mm-hmm. and not to be willing to say, you're right. I, I screwed up on this mm-hmm. one. Right. Yeah. She, and I agree. She does look bad, not in a dramatically displeasing way. No, um, it's but her character takes a hit from this. And it's actually nice to see characters on Next Gen make mistakes mm-hmm. because Next Next Gen usually would not let them do that. And or, Deep Space Nine was much more. We're yeah. going to let our characters make mistakes. Like when Worf aborts a mission and a man dies because he wants to save Jadzia. Mm-hmm. You know, into the pale um, moonlight, which is the classic one. Into yeah. the pale moonlight. I mean, that yeah. is an amazing episode. Mm. Um, so, you know, having characters do unethical things and make bad decisions, that's something we don't typically get to see on Next Gen. So I liked that. Yeah. I also liked that as part of it, they they included the element about I told Jack about you. When he was old enough, I told him about you and and encouraged him to get in co- in contact with you, um, and he didn't want that, and that does it doesn't undo her bad decision, but it does put a different complexion on it, which then mm-hmm. creates additional problems for Picard going forward, because now he knows his son, who, even after he learned about him, you know, um, and and presumably learned. I didn't tell your father about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows it wasn't Picard's fault. He shouldn't be blaming Picard. And he still didn't want anything to do with him. And that creates some additional dramatic tension for Picard and Jack. So she ends their 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 argument. She says, um, I, you know, she'd already lost both of her parents, her husband and her son, Wesley, to the stars that owned Picard. And she says, as a mother, you know, I knew I could protect my child. I wasn't sure if I could protect yours. You know, that she says Picard's mm-hmm. child. And which is a bit ironic given the current situation they're in, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. she couldn't protect Jack and she called Picard to come protect him. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, interesting. Although I wonder, are they after Jack because he's Picard's child or not? That's still something that needs to be determined. I think. I think it's going to end up being that um, because they've 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 openly raised the possibility on screen. Mm. So I mean, then- it'd be hard. It'd be hard to see this is like, oh, no, Picard is completely irrelevant to why Jack is, you know, under right. threat. It is Picard after all this series. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, then we transitioned, you know, now that we've talked about Jack not wanting to see Picard, we transitioned to him oh, and Riker oh, in the hall. Be- but before yeah. we it, also in that scene, they address the issue of Jack's accent. Oh, Beverly right. says Beverly says two things. She says he went to school in London and he never shook it. And um, and then she says, maybe it's genetic. Yeah, maybe it's in his DNA. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm glad they addressed it because we talked about it before. Yep. Right, that's, so mm-hmm. that's, I'm glad they did that. 
And and it's believable because, or at least more believable, it depends on what age he went to school in London, because accents accents are formed not based on how the parents talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, linguist, linguists have studied this, and children actually pick up their accents from their age mates, so from other children. So mm-hmm. if you think you're going to give your accent to your child by talking to your child, no. You, your child's going to develop his or her accent by listening to other children. Although homeschool kids, especially in the pandemic era, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. My kids talk like they're from New York. So I don't know, like Boston. My wife's from uh, Texas. I'm from Boston. Maybe it's somewhere in between. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Beverly Beverly actually says at one point, I don't know why they're after Jack, but she thinks they're really, it's Picard they're really after or whoever is behind Vadik, which is pro- presumably the changelings. So that's kind of interesting. So we have this scene with Riker and Jack in the hall and Jack's pacing back and forth furiously. And Riker is doing his patented Riker smirk. You know, he's kind of laughing at, at Jack's attitude. Um, And he tells him, you know, the the crew as they go by are giving Jack this, this nasty look. And Riker tells Jack, they don't trust you because they don't know why they should put their lives on the line for you. You're not telling us everything. And they, they they don't trust you. Their their lives are in danger, and you're not saying why, and which mm-hmm. is interesting. And so that that's mainly most of what happens in that scene. I'm not sure there's much else. You know, there's a bit of talk about. Uh, oh, Jack says that he heard that Picard was positronic now, so we have a reference to Picard's yeah. synthness. And Riker says he's the same man. Also, he 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 tells Jack that. Um, you know, Jack responds to the bit about these people are putting their lives on the line for you and they're not sure you're worth saving, um, you know, at the cost of their lives. And Jack is like, well, I didn't ask them to. And and he's and Riker's like, it doesn't matter that you didn't ask them to. <laughs> right. Um, you're in this situation now. You may as well make them feel better about it. Right. If they're risking their lives for you. And and after that, Jack does kind of turn. I mean, he did like did not have a previous relationship with Seven, but he starts teaming up with Seven. And he, you know, he also helps out in the medical bay and things like that. And so he that was I think that was kind of a a, a conversation that caused Jack to take a different approach. Right. Um and then when Picard comes out and he and Riker get in the turbo lift to go to the bridge, Picard basically tells Riker that the relationship is irreparable, that there's no, you know, there's no way to fix what happened, which is obviously not going to be true. Not going to be true. Right. Um, so back to the bridge, we, you mentioned that Shaw gets injured in one of the encounters with the Shrike. Um, and he interestingly turns command over to to, to Riker, which I think mm-hmm. is an interesting um, move that he does, you know, for him to do. He doesn't call seven to the bridge and put her back and, co- you know, put her in command as the first officer uh, because she's been basically arrested. Um, Riker's now in charge. And it's it's an interesting I mean, Shaw doesn't have a whole lot of choice here, but it's still an interesting admission. Like, I think, in fact, he says this situation demands a man like you, not a man like me, basically. You know, 
Well, he doesn't say it like that. He says, you got us into this. You're going to get us out. And he transfers the command codes to him. And the and in, in context, he's just been injured. He needs to go to sickbay for treatment. And obviously, you can't command in a battle from mm-hmm. from from sickbay right. when you're injured and being treated. So I would have set it up. I would have had him in, be injured a little more severely to make it more obvious to the viewer that he has to go get treated. Because right. it wasn't, I mean, yeah, he's been knocked up, he's bleeding a little, he's been knocked around, he's been bleeding a little. It That doesn't on Star Trek mean you've got to go be treated immediately. I would have I would have had him be more severely injured um, to make that clearer. And he made the right choice rather than let's have Captain, let's have Admiral Ancient be <laughs> right. in command. Right. Riker is still of an age and disposition that he could make an effective uh, combat commander. And so you're it. And he's still in Starfleet, whereas Picard yeah. is not. Yeah. Um, and then they have this encounter with the Shrike where they, they use a torpedo in an interesting way to concuss it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and Picard turns to Riker and says, it might be time for you to start calling me number one, which I, which is a nice, funny little yeah, uh, throw. Yeah, that was a nice little human moment. Yeah. So uh, back to the Rafi Wharf show. And we have the, back in La Serena, we have Wharf. Working out to Berlioz's opera, which we know how Klingons love their opera. So it's kind of fun. That was fun. Also, Worf has the best, best line. Yes. Um, (laughs) As as Rafi is, you know, she's woken up. She's adjusting to her new situation. She sees Worf doing his calisthenics and he's, you know, swinging the sword around and everything. And she doesn't know who he is because she only got brief drugged out glimpses of him when he showed up in the previous episode. And so she wants to know who he is. And in his Michael Dorn projecting voice, he says effectively, I may not get every element of this, but he says, I am Worf, son of Moog, house of Martok, son of Al- son of Sergei, house of Alexander, or not Rojinko. Uh, house of Rojinko. Um, Bane. Nemesis, yeah. yeah, Bane of, of uh, the Duras, slayer of Gauron. I have made chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> I saw someone do a little meme with, with a uh, Starbucks cup with all of that written on it, like all mm-hmm. of his stuff, his name. And then someone asked on Twitter, is it chamomile tea inside? And Terry Metalis, the showrunner uh, replied of course mm. <laughs> uh, i love that um not prune juice which is a warrior's drink and um so it wharf reveals you know more about you know being the handler he's like you mentioned in the in your recap he's not in starfleet but our interests align which is an interesting thing i mean he's retired starfleet so he's yeah, connected. Um, he had and they could always reactivate him, but he's not currently serving. Right, and he says he discovered the guy who's really behind Sneed, not the Romulan Fall guy, uh, whose head whose head has been taken off, but this other guy. And he and Rafi are going to track him down because something bigger is coming. And we have this. I thought it was a kind of a good line, like when using a portal gun, you know, stealing this portal gun apocalyptic device and using it to destroy a, an entire building in one shot is the distraction. Then that mm-hmm. that means whatever else is coming is going to be really bad. And so I thought that was a, a nice little moment there. 
Uh, also, like at the at the end of that scene, as as they're about to go look for this human terrorist, Worf, you know, is talking to Rafi, and he he also, by the way, calls her by her full name, Raffaella. Yes, um, and he's the only person who does that. But he he turns to her, and I mean, he's, he's talking to her. He says, "You have served me well." And she says, she has a great line and she says, whoa, where is all this past tense coming from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he invites her along on the mission. Is it me or is Michael Dorn less boomy with his voice? I mean, you still get that stentorian, you know, voice, the really great war voice, but it's less like snarling, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you think he's intentionally kind of the older, calmer wharf? It could be. He also, and I saw an interview with him where he was discussing this, because, like one of the things that they had was, how was he going to appear? You know, were they going to redesign him like they redesigned other Klingons? And fortunately, they, they did not make the boneheadedly stupid move of doing that. Worf Unintended needs to look or like no? <laughs> Take it as you will. Um, but they did have a question of like, how aged should he be? Mm. And they um, they uh, had shown him, uh, you know, we don't know, really. I mean, I, it, it's at least somewhat undefined about how do Klingons age. I, I remember one source years ago that suggested Klingons actually age very rapidly because they 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 have these rough, tough lives and they they burn through them quickly and they aren't they don't live to be 200 um, and they age pretty quickly. But then Deep Space Nine contradicted that by bringing back all of the uh, Klingons from the original series and they're still alive and they're they've just got gray hair now. And the. Uh, in the end of Next Gen, they showed a 20 years older Worf with gray hair. So they they approached Michael Dorn about that, and he initially wasn't apparently too keen on going gray. But it was in, in their discussion, the idea of a particular character came up from Kill Bill. It's a, a martial arts master. I have never seen the Kill Bill movies, but there's a martial arts master who's who's Asian in them, and he has white hair. And he's got actually, you know, you look at his hair, he's got a kind of a goat mustache, goatee thing that's kind of similar to Worf and in the new series. And his hair this this Asian martial arts master's hair is pure white. And he's like he can kill anybody. And so even though he's old, he, he has not lost his his deadliness. He can kill anybody. And they decided to model Worf on that. So they made him go totally white. And he, it's partly inspired by this Asian martial arts master from Kill Bill. Interesting. See, I, I figured with the voice, which was kind of the original question you, you brought up there, Dom, um, I wonder how much of it just has to do with we're dealing with 40 years newer recording technology. Mm. The and sounds the the sound is better the 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 editing software is I mean in fact it's editing software not editing hardware now yeah. and stuff like that I just wonder if if it's not so much age as it is just better technology I think that's part of that could be part of one of the factors also Michael Doran's voice box is aged you know mm-hmm. by thirty years and so he's got a thirty year old older voice. And I think he is, I know when we get to feedback, we're going to talk about this. Is he a pacifist thing or not? And he's not. 
but um, he is older and wiser and more mature and more calculated. And I think he may be trying to project that sense, that sensibility with his voice where he's not the angry, snarling young Klingon he used to be. So uh, we go back to Titan after this, and um, we find out that the nebula is not a nebula per se. It is something else. It has electronic and biological signatures throughout it. Uh, electrical. Ele- I'm sorry, electrical, not electronic, electrical signals. And um, is it because it's changeling planet inside? Are they sensing the change? I, I, at first, I thought that's what they were talking about, but maybe there's something else going on. Yeah, I think it's the nebula is alive. And and that's why Jack had the vision. In the vision, Seven appears to him and bends over him, and there are branches of some kind. They look kind of like blood vessels mm. growing behind her on the ceiling. And the 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 vision says to Jack, "Connect the branches," and I think it says, "Find me." And then if, he has then he yeah. has a vision of a door. Um, opening, right, and so I think that I think that the nebula is alive, or it, or certainly there's something living down in the gravity well. You know, I just had a thought. What if it's Wesley? Um, because Wesley showed up in last season. It's his brother. Yeah, it's it, it. I it's possible, but I would doubt that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It also, if if that were the case, why would it appear as a female? Right, right. That's true. True. Well, um, in any case, it, it, I, I wonder if it's also just how they get out of the the nebula and away from the strike. You know, that's that would be the, the solution. But we'll we'll see that. That's speculation. So the uh, Vadik and the strike starts using the portal weapon to corral the Titan, trying to run because Riker's all about we need to run, even though Picard keeps saying we have to turn and fight. Yeah, and Riker is justified in that the 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 Shrike vastly outclasses them in terms of firepower. Why is Picard so, like, we need to f- stand and fight them versus run, even though they're well, out, outclassed? He, he thinks that Riker is playing it overly safe um, because of loss aversion. You know, he wants to save all these people on the ship and get them to the nearest star base. Um, and he apparently thinks that the best the best defense is a good offense. Well, okay, maybe, but Riker is correct by the numbers, and Picard is off base, and I don't think they convincingly reveal to us why Picard is taking the approach he is. This is, I think, a writing choice to kill runtime in the episode by pitting two of our heroes against each other with opposing viewpoints. And they need to both have justification for their viewpoints and they don't. Riker is clearly correct. Um, and now eventually the writers force Riker into a position where he has no ability to run, at which point he has no option, but to try Picard's plan. But I think it's, I think I think it's a little bit of a weakness in the writing that they don't give us a good reason for Picard's taking the position he 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 is taking. Um, also, and we we alluded to this earlier. This is a weaker part of the episode, but Picard progressively becomes more and more 
Aggressive? Insub- well, aggressive, or. and ultimately he becomes insubordinate. Right. Um, he is at, fairly late in the episode. He and Riker are on the bridge, and Picard is insisting that they attack the Shrike, and he is doing so in front of the crew. And he is thus undermining Riker's authority by critiquing the captain's plans in front of the crew. And that is insubordination. And I'm like, dude, you are insubordinate now. Right. And he's the the legendary Picard and the Mm -hmm. captain whose substitute, whose authority is still. Yeah. And he's the acting first officer. Right. So this is a first officer against the captain conflict in front of the crew that you do not let happen. Mm. So I think now you can say, okay, bad writing, but you can also say sign of Picard aging. He is not what he used to be. Right. And we saw that a little bit in the last season, just like Picard's, you know, sometimes being a little bit irrational or more angry than we remember him being at times and that sort of thing. Um, So I think they're still playing with that. So we go back to Rafi and Worf. They've now captured this human that, who is behind Sneed, this uh, human terrorist, and they're interrogating him aboard La Serena. And Rafi uh, assumes that his demeanor is because he's suffering withdrawals. And they're doing good cop, bad cop. Worf gets to be good cop. I I know. (laughs) I love this. Rafi is bad. I love the good cop, bad cop routine with Rafi is bad cop and Worf is good cop. That is awesome. (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, Worf is, so Worf is calm and he's trying to appeal to him. At one point he says, um, there is no good, no bang, no bad. You know, there's no such thing as good or bad. Anger isn't the way. Do you think he's really saying this? Is is this just a gambit? I think it's a gambit. A, a, he, Worf clearly believes in good and evil, but he's trying to get this terrorist to reveal information. And terrorists frequently have a nihilistic worldview, or at least he imagines they do. And so he says, there is no good, there is no evil, you believe in your fight. Right, right. And that's about, you know, when we start to, war figures it out before Drafi does, is that this isn't just an uh, an addict going through withdrawals, it's a changeling who's about Mm -hmm. to who's hasn't had enough time to um, regenerate what I guess is the, yeah they have yep. to spend, they have to basically sleep in liquid form. Mm-hmm. And this guy is near the end of his wakeful activity period and is about to forcibly revert to goo in their presence. And he's trying to get through this situation before that happens and not succeeding. And he does reveal that the portal, like I mentioned before, the portal weapon was misdirection for something more dangerous that they stole from Daystrom that no one noticed. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's lore? Yeah. Or, or be, I or before. Yeah. I think it's the Sung Android that, yeah. Okay. That will be the, where, where that plays in. Um, so my note here is he's a founder. The dominion is back. <laughs> Exclamation point, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is, uh, was fun. Um, I wonder if we'll get Jeffrey Coombs as Wei Yun again. No, maybe not. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, had, Dad, like, I don't think we're getting. I don't think we're getting anything of the actual Dominion. No, I, this is. We're just going to have this breakaway branch that's probably not going to have the. Yeah. Vorta. I know. I know. I could. I was kind of hopeful. Um, so Worf said, you know, said, acknowledges there's a terrorist faction of the Changelings who've broken off. Um, uh, kind of inferring that Odo has let him know. Um. 
and that Oda was a man of honor who would never let the changelings become this and that sort of thing. Um, so the changeling uh, um, here with that reveal, we then we get the reveal of the changeling aboard the Titan who sabotages the warp drive so they can't escape. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it blows up a plasma conduit. And then also just to tie up what happens with Worf and Rafi, yep. the changeling does revert to goo in front of them. Right. And it starts to try to escape in its goo form. And at least apparently Worf vaporizes it. But right. We don't see it clearly enough that they could bring the changeling back next time. But it looked like Worf vaporized it. Right. Right. Um, and so is. Meanwhile, the Shrike is is running down the now warpless uh, uh, Titan, which can't escape. So Picard, uh, Riker realizes, I do have to take Picard's advice. Now we really do have to turn and fight. And um, they start shooting torpedoes and they use the portal <laughs> device to he, redirect he says, the torpedoes. He says, fire everything we've got, and which is a nice dramatic line. And then we see them fire four photon torpedoes. So apparently... <laughs> Everything we've got was four photon torpedoes. Well, thankfully, they don't appear to be all that uh, dangerous torpedoes because they they kind of explode harmlessly on the Titan's own shields when the portal redirects it. Um, And they but they do fall into the gravity well that they've been trying to stay out of. And they they fall into this dark area of the nebula. And to 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 avoid the gravity well, the Shrike retreats at this point. Yeah. Uh, and inside this gravity well, there's it looks like asteroids or some other you know rocks floating around, and this is where Riker turns to Picard and tells, "Remove yourself from the bridge. You've just killed us all." And it was like I thought that was an odd. I mean, what was what else? Like, why why is this Picard's fault? You're the captain, and you had no other choice but to fire at them. Like, I I I I I took it as two things: writers wanting to end with a nice dramatic line and moment, and yeah. And if I need a diegetic reason for it, I can say Worf has just been butting heads with Admiral Ancient and his insubordination. And even though it's not actually Picard's fault, what just happened, um, he's just frustrated at this point and just and 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 Picard in particular is a source of frustration because he's been needling him all this time. Okay finally tried your plan it failed we're dead i don't want to see you anymore get out of here right right and and like you said that's where the the episode ends uh so final thoughts on this episode father cory anything nothing nothing here jimmy no i thought it was a good episode i enjoyed it excellent uh so i mentioned we get lots of feedback so i want to share some of that now from our last episode uh the disengage it was called first it comes from uh, YouTube, where Rube's Good Brain Coffee writes, this episode reminded me of the time when Spock changed course for Vulcan without Kirk's permission. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly, Kirk had also been asleep. And that was... Mm-hmm. Wh- which Amok one was that? Time. Amok, Amok time. time. Oh, right, right. Um, so so yes. the, the name of that correspondent was what again? Rube's Good Brain Coffee. It sounds like a zombie beverage. <laughs> well, coffee is good for your brain. Great, great name, though. Yes. Like the name. <laughs> uh, Rob Cox on Facebook writes, yes, it is very much akin to Wrath of Khan, but I don't think to its detriment. After the second episode, I'm liking Captain Shaw. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to hearing what you guys thought. 
I continue to like Captain Shaw. Also, and I forgot to mention this, there's another Wrath of Khan-like moment in uh, in in this episode because they after they realize um, that they they have a gas leak that is allowing the Shrike to tack, to track them, they get the idea of let's discontinue the gas leak, and then when the trail runs out. They will stop and we will sneak up behind them. Right, right. Which is the three-dimensional thinking that Kirk did in Wrath of Khan. And they do it. Unfortunately, unlike Khan, the Shrike actually has a portal gun that can throw your own <laughs> photon torpedoes back at you. Yep, yep. Um, then Julio Salazar via email writes, uh, just a few lines to tell you how much I enjoy listening to your podcast, which is one of the best on the Star Trek fandom. I'm a big fan since TNG, and I follow the Trek universe even through the novels. That's why I found Riker's rank as captain surprising, as he had been promoted to Admiral in the Fall series. It's a shame that apparently those stories are no longer part of the canon. Anyway, let me congratulate all of you for the program. It's well-organized, insightful, and entertaining all along. And just to comment on the disengaged feedback part, I also think that providing some balance is important and necessary. It gives a wider variety to the universe and to your show, Big hugs from Peru. Gra gracias, uh, uh, Julio. Um, I, I, on the subject of canon in Star Trek, my understanding is it's it, unfortunately it's not like Star Wars or um, or Babylon Five or Doctor Who, where the tie-in media are generally assumed to be canonical by the creators. Um, however, my approach would be this is just an alternate timeline. <laughs> and so if if you if you like a series of novels where Riker's an admiral, that's just an alternate timeline. Like the Kelvin timeline. Yeah, a lot I've read a lot of Star Trek novels and a lot of stuff that took that they wrote to take place after the series had all ended has all been thrown out. You know, everything having to do with DS9, everything having to do with Picard and Crusher getting married and having a kid in in the books. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, the, unfortunately, none of that has ever been recognized as canon for whatever has been filmed. Kara uh, from Dis Discord writes: I wanted to add to the discussion of Jimmy sometimes taking a more critical approach on the episodes by commending all of you on being, as Dom said, picky fans. I listen to your podcast rather than others because you're doing more than just summarizing and enthusing. You ask good questions and challenge the writers in ways that I would not think to. I think this show, like many on the network, helped make consuming media more than just a passive experience. If a producer or writer for the shows ever finds Secrets of Star Trek, I think they would be challenged to do better in how they create the universe. All that to say, you're doing a great job and I'm enjoying watching through Picard with you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I I don't indulge in a huge amount of watching other, you know, Star Trek fan reactions. I do a little bit. I, I see sometimes like videos by Trek Culture on YouTube and and they they and I, and there is this phenomenon of re recap and gush and, and among some some outlets and it's it i don't find it very satisfying which is why i don't watch it because i'm not interested in just watching someone gush i want to understand and i want to think about writing choices and so forth at least trek culture when they do stuff they tend to be pretty gushy but they also do have something they call ups and downs 
for episode as an episode review format where they give an up, meaning they liked something to one aspect of an episode and give a down, meaning they didn't like it to another aspect of the same episode that they're reviewing. And so they are trying to be at least somewhat critical. But what I find unsatisfying about that is it's just personal impressions. They never discuss they they never think in terms of the writing mechanics, or at least I don't think they sufficiently think in terms of writing mechanics and explore alternatives. And it's 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 just kind of quick hits like this, didn't like that without much discussion. And I I I much prefer thinking from a writing perspective of why are they doing this? How else could they have handled this? What are the costs and benefits of doing it this way? Yeah. Uh, by the way, if a writer or producer for Star Trek ever would like to uh, join us for discussion, we'd love to have them. Uh, I, or if a producer would like to hire uh, you know, a, <laughs> a writer who thinks about these things, I am available. <laughs> I was going to mention that The Secrets of Stargate, one of our other shows, uh, recently had Joseph Malazzi, one of the executive producers for Stargate SG-1 and or- Stargate Atlantis. We we just recorded an interview with him that will come out as our hundredth episode. Nice, yeah, in a, in a few weeks. So, uh, so we're 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 open to that. Um, our next feedback comes from Brian on Patreon, who writes: "I was a little disappointed by Worf. There was a trailer that had him telling Riker he was a pacifist. After which Riker says, we're all going to die.' That when we see him in this episode, he kills four people. I'm confused as to where this is going." I, so I can shed some light on this because I did watch an interview. It had um, Jonathan uh, Frakes, Frakes and yeah. Michael Dorn and LeVar Burton and the Terry Metalis in it. And they 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 addressed this question. Uh, the interviewer was talking to them and they pointed out this is Worf a pacifist scene that had been in the trailer and um, and had been somewhat divisive in fandom, you know, um, and. Um, and what they said, and, and so I think this is an illustration of, and I'd even seen a remark from someone connected with the program saying the trailer is taking footage out of context. So the things that you're seeing in the trailer don't necessarily mean what you would think taking them in isolation. And this appears to be an example of that. So it's where the trailer, which is designed to tease you and get you interested in watching, is misleading, you know, and they they basically said it's a joke. Worf, uh, even though he has matured and may not be as inclined to violence as his first recourse as he previously was, he's not a pacifist. And and so this is basically a joke. And Michael Dorn was like, you know, yeah. Did you notice the big, huge sword on his back? And he's clearly <laughs> not a pacifist. I was wondering. You should have marked. You yeah. should have marked that feedback as spoilers, Dom. <laughs> right. That's spoilers for later in the in the series. So. Right, 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 right. Um, I I, uh, I was I was thinking uh, going to speculate that maybe Klingon pacifist is different from what humans might think of as pacifist. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Klingon a Klingon pacifist may not be against all violence, but uh, mm-hmm. so uh, it, which it that brings up a whole other issue of um, trailers and marketing departments making deceptive trailers, and that's really annoying. Uh, Brett, well, we've already oh, yeah. we've already seen an example of of that where in the trailer we had this shot of Beverly saying it will be what it's always been attempts on your life right. and they they made it sound like that's our adventure 
Right. And in context, it's 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 her justifying why she never told him about Jack, because it is what it always was. Attempts on your life. That's why I didn't right. tell you about Jack. Right. Right. Um, Brett sends an email. I just wanted to drop a quick line about the realistic nature of the head and disengaged the severed Romulan head, the disengaged head. The disengaged head. While I agree that the head does not look realistic at all, a lot of shows have had to deal with this issue. There was actually a time when television shows tried to go for more realistic, more blood, for example. What they found, however, was that people had become so used to how blood and gore looked on TV that it made the realistic stuff look fake. I've actually spoken with jurors after trial. Uh, Brett's apparently an attorney mm-hmm. who questioned whether something they saw, not to be too graphic, but I believe it was an arm, was real or not because it looked fake. Just a fun little thing I wanted to tell you guys. Like y'all said, though, that head looked fake. Enjoying this season so far. Yeah, it's interesting how things have changed over time. It would be interesting to see, like, okay, so how realistic were they getting before they decided to pull back on it? And I can easily imagine that happening if you, because there was in the late 60s and, and 70s, there was a period where the rating system, for example, for movies was new, and you could do very daring things without triggering higher ratings. Like if you if you watch the original Planet of the Apes movie from 1968, which has lobotomized brain surgeried humans and we're treating you you and Nova as a breeding pair and all of mankind is dead and all of this it's a really intense movie you have apes running around chasing people and you know violence and sexuality and all kinds of stuff that movie has a G rating oh wow yeah <laughs> it, it, by this by the standards of the time it got a G rating and wow. so I can easily imagine and we're much tighter about ratings now than we were then so I can imagine you know people in that kind of revolutionary hey things are changing let's let's be hip and edgy you know going for more gruesome realism including on TV that they then pulled back from it would be interesting to see what that is mm. also a lot of a lot of stuff. And, you know, I wonder at times to what extent were realism, like when you see blood, you know, I mean, you watch some films like, you know, 1940s cowboy movies and people just clutch their chest and fall over and there's no blood. Um, there's not even a hole on the back of their shirt. <laughs> um, and so it's completely unrealistic. But then I watch other things from like the 60s or 70s and they're dripping you know, um, they're dripping blood and I'm like, dude, that is just red paint. (laughs) It's, it's, it's not even food coloring in, 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 um, in syrup. It's just red paint. I could put that on the side of a barn. (laughs) And, um, and so you see significantly varying qualities of realism and, uh, and I always wonder about why the, why exactly was this chosen? Mm. So our last feedback uh, comes from Eric, who wrote to us last time, and he has two comments. So I'll read the first one. Uh, he said, this was just a reference to the, the episode. Just notice a callback from season two. Apparently someone on the writing staff is obsessed with the number 17. In season two, Q makes a reference to Dr. Sung sitting down in 17 seconds, then proceeds to talk about family. In season three, the episode title of episode three is 17 seconds. Again, relating to family. 
I wonder if there's a correlation somehow. Yeah, I don't really remember that. Um, I'd have to go back and review it and to see exactly what mm. happened. Mm. I think sometimes writers, they get like they give it when they need a random number. They sometimes mm -hmm. fixate on a particular random number. You know, so it could be that, too. It could be also 17 is a prime number. And mm. so that could make it extra attractive. Yes. So is that is that is that proof then that this is prime universe? <laughs> <laughs> it's the prime timeline. So uh, and then uh, Erickson sent another uh, feedback and he says, first, let me say I was not expecting to hear my comment read last week. And I sincerely appreciate Jimmy's thoughtful response. Jimmy said something in his reply. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it made me reconsider my point of view. One thing Jimmy did not mention was that how a listener's perception can be altered by their own current circumstances. I think that I may have been having a bad day when I wrote that, and I myself might have been the Debbie Downer. I always go back and listen to the previous podcast before the new one comes out. I listened to the Picard Season 3 episode, Episode 1 podcast, again this morning, and I did not notice the negativity nearly as much as I did when I made my original comment, which made me realize that my situation may affect my perception of what I'm hearing. Hearing my comment read back to me made me realize that it was excessively harsh and unfair to Jimmy, and so I owe him an apology. I appreciated hearing his point of view and want to offer an apology for my harshness in my previous comments. I believe they were unwarranted. I still love SQPN. Well, thank you, Eric. Glad you still like SQPN, and thank you very much. Um, no hard feelings at all. I, you know, don't worry about it. Um, and I certainly agree that our moods and what we're going through affects how we perceive things. That happens to everybody. Also, it's another universal experience to, you know, write something and or say something and go back later and revisit it and think, you know, that came off different than how I meant. So, it, so uh, no problem at all. And thank you very much. We love, we love getting feedback. So, and that's all our feedback this time. And thank you everyone for all that wonderful feedback. Uh, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for, for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Kelsey S, Jim B, Andy F, Andrew P, and David H. Their generous tax deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us for this time. What did you think of 17 Seconds, this Picard episode? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or watch the show, Secrets of Star Trek, on our YouTube channel, where you can also leave a comment in the YouTube channel is at youtube.com slash Media. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Picard called No Win Scenario. I wonder what else you could call a no win scenario. Anyway, until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. I am Jimmy, son of Jimmy, house of Aiken, bane of heretics and slayer of false hypotheses. I have made some chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? <laughs> uh, two lumps. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, beheadings are on Wednesdays. Wednesdays.